بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا وعظيمنا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع نفوسنا أبي القاسم محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين وأصحابه الغر الميامين الحمد لله الذي جعلنا من المتمسكين بولاية سيدي ومولاي علي بن أبي طالب الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله أما بعد قال الإمام زين العابدين عليه السلام لنعم الحر حر بني رياح صبور عند مشتبك الرماح لنعم الحر إذ فاد حسينا وجاد بنفسه عند الصباح the first of our salawat in honor of Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. The second in honor of Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib. The third with your loudest voices in honor of the Imam of our time, Imam Sahib al-Asr wa'l-Zaman. Respected scholars, brothers and sisters, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi occupies a prominent position in Islamic history as being revered as one of the greatest companions of Imam al-Husayn, salawatullahi wa salamuhu A companion from whose lives many lessons may be learnt and many extraordinary examples may be derived. And without a doubt, a companion who has affected the lives of many in the world today. Each of the companions of Imam al Hussein on the 10th of Muharram left a different legacy for all of us to take on board in our life. At the end of the day, these nights of Majalis in honor of the companions of Imam al Hussein are not just for us to historically repeat what's been said before. Rather, it's for us to take them as inspirations in our life, to try and apply their principles into our life. When you look at Habib ibn Madahir, or Muslim ibn Awsaja, or Zuhair ibn Al-Qain, or Anas ibn Al-Harith, or Abis, you see each and every one of them provides you with an example for your life, that all of their principles on the plains of Karbala are principles I can apply in New Jersey today, as in the ethics that they displayed and the standards that maintained on that day are standards we can apply today, whether it's in humility, whether it's in patience, whether it's in their dignity, whether it's in their loyalty. And that's why when Imam Hussain says that there are no companions like my companions, what does he mean? He means that everybody living at the time knew that I am Hussein, son of Ali. But the go when the going got tough and when the crunch time came, only 72 showed their true colors. Everybody else claimed to love me. Everybody else claimed to honor me. But where were they when I needed them the most? The best of the best of them were these. They left everything behind. They had the wealth of this world, the fame of this world. They had the power of this world. And you found that they left it all out of service for Ahlul Bayt. And none more wonderful than Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi. Yes? Because Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi, truly, when you look at his story, it applies to every single one of us in this world. Especially those of us who feel and often ask a question, is there any hope after we've sinned throughout our lives? And how many of you have asked yourself a question? Has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgiven me for that sin that I performed on that day? There are many sins that stick to the soul that every year that goes past, that sin is still there in your soul. As in how many of us can actually claim that a particular sin has left us when we come on Laylatul Qadr, 
we find that many of us, when we begin to ask Allah to forgive our sins, that one particular sin sticks there. Those who've committed adultery know it's very hard for it to go. Those who've committed, for example, lies or have stolen, they know it's hard for that to leave them. Those who, for example, have had an abortion, and someone says that, is there really abortions that rife? You find that there are many emails sent to me on a regular basis from youths who were negligent in their teens and they aborted their baby out of fear that the community may find out. For years, that guilt stuck with them and many of them wondered, will Allah forgive me or no? You see, the Lord of Christianity seems to be more forgiving than the Lord of Islam. In which way, many non-Muslims say, look at the Lord of Christianity. Every church says that God forgives all of your acts. Whereas the Lord of Islam is often portrayed as a Lord who just wants to send you to hellfire. This could not be further from the truth because the reality within the Lord of Islam is that every single avenue of repentance, there is a door. And every extreme sinner, Allah has opened his doors for them. You look within the Quran, the wonderful verse that states, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ الدُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Say, O oh Muhammad, to my, to my servants who have been extravagant against themselves, never despair. Of the mercy of Allah. For Allah forgives every single sin. For he is the all forgiving, the all merciful. Yes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives every single sin. On the basis that you are looking to change. Yes. See there's two types of sinners. There's a sinner who turns around and says, listen I'm still young. I'll go to hajj later on. And then I'll get married. And then I'll become religious. I used to ask many youth, why don't you come with me hajj? They say, Sayyid Ammar, listen, if I come with you, Hajj, that means I'm going to have to be religious when I come back. That's the point, inshallah, yes. If I know, they turn around, they say, I'm going to have to change, I'm going to have to become religious. Or those who tell, come with me, Karbala, come ziyara with me, let's go to the grandson of the Prophet and maintain our relationship with the Ahlul Bayt. No, I'm not ready yet. Why aren't you ready? Because I think when I come back, I'm going to have to change. Change into what? You're sounding like you're changing into going into a hell somewhere, Yes. You're changing into going back to the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yes? But you find that many ask this question. Is there a way that I can change? Today in Muharram, night four in New Jersey, I'm a sinner. There's one particular sin. I don't know if I'm ever going to be forgiven for it. The best person to look at is Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi, yes? Because Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi, what he did to the family of Rasulullah was an act which none of us will perform an act that bad in our lives, yes? Some of us may have disobeyed Allah in our lives by the odd lie, by the odd backbiting, but to block water from the children of Rasulullah, yes? There is nothing as grievous as that, but the story and the transformation of Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi was an example to everyone, and not just him. Hur didn't change by himself. His son Bukhair changed with him, and remember, these two, when they changed, they became a catalyst for change in Karbala and a thousand years later. In Karbala, over 28 changed with Hur because they saw him change. After a thousand years, only Allah knows how many changed because of Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi. Yes, if you were to ask many in the world today. And that's why Imam Zain al-Abidin is attributed as saying, لَنِعْمَ الْحُرْ حُرُّ بَنِ الرِّيَاحِ what does the Imam say about him? What a wonderful hur, the hur of Bani Riyah, patient in the middle of that battlefield. What a wonderful hur who sacrificed his life for Hussein in that morning he gave everything that he could. Yes, when an Imam like Imam Zain al-Abideen honors you in this way, then without a doubt, you have to be respected and examined. Sadly, hardly anyone has examined Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi's change in depth. Many times we hear the masaib of Hur, but we don't really hear the background of Hur, about Hur's family, about how powerful Hur was in Kufa. Tonight I'd like to examine his biography, inshallah. 
in order to be able to understand the background of this personality and also understand what is it that brought about the change in him, which can easily apply into our lives today. I'd like to examine this in the following stages. Number one, in the Quran, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I guide who I want to guide and I misguide who I want to misguide, what hope is there for us who Allah doesn't like? Number two, how important is the mother of Hur? And especially in the name that she gave her son. Number three, what was the situation of the Shia and the different theological groups as well as legal groups within Kufa at the time? When someone was termed a Shia of Ali, did that mean theologically they believed in Ali's imama? Or was it that they may just have sided with Ali and his family on a particular issue? Number four, how great was the bravery and the fame and the promised wealth for Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi from the emperor of his time? Number five, what difference is there between Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi and Zubair on the day of Jamal? And how significant is the move towards Imam al-Hussein in contrast towards Zubair's move away from the battlefield? Number six, what was the interaction between him and Imam al-Hussein and what happened when Imam al-Hussein insulted his mom? How did he reply back to Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam? And number seven, what on the 10th of Muharram made him change to the army of Imam al-Hussein? And what were the words that he said to Aba Abdullah that are words that ring with us until today? Let's examine this and seek to take the lessons from his biography in as much depth as we can. The first disclaimer that arises in the analysis of the life of Hur bin Yazid al-Riyah is an interesting one. Some people say in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I guide who I want to guide. And I misguide who I want to misguide. Now therefore, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't like me, does that mean that I will be misguided and remain misguided? Because many times when we see Yahdi, may yasha, wayudhillu, may yasha. Many times you see these come within the Quran, within the world of supplication. Allah guides the one who he wants to guide. He misguides those who he wants to misguide. That means that I, when I am misguided firstly, what hope do I have? If Allah wants to misguide me, how can I counter Allah? Number two, that means that when I'm committing a sin, it's not me. It's Allah who's making me commit sins. Because he's saying I misguide whoever I want to misguide. Within theology, this became a major debate throughout Islamic history. That when we, for example, commit these sins that we do, is it Allah who's misguiding us or is it within our own free will? In the sense that when I now commit this sin, there is a group of people who turn around and say, it's not my fault. Allah in the Quran says, I misguide whoever I want to misguide. So therefore, I'm being misguided by God. God doesn't like me and that's why I'm being misguided. First and foremost, you find one school, the Ash'arite school emerged and one of their opinions was what? That all of our acts are predestined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is another school that emerged, the Mu'tazila, who said, no, we have complete free will. Yes, as in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he doesn't give us that free will, then the day of judgment doesn't make any sense. Yes, the day of judgment is when Allah asks you about that which you had the free will to choose. Likewise, on the third level, the school of Ahlul Bayt. The school of Ahlul Bayt is between the two positions. Neither complete belief in predestination, nor complete belief in free will. There are certain things, no doubt, predestined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The family I'm born into, that's predestined by Allah. I can't in the womb say I want to decide to go into that family and not that. But then there are other areas I have free will. So therefore, on the first level, those who said that the meaning is that Allah's misguided me, that's why I'm not religious. No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna hadaynahu sabil. We have guided man on the right path. Either they are grateful or they are ungrateful. But still the ayah says Allah misguides whoever he wants to misguide. Does that mean that if Allah doesn't like me, he's just going to misguide me? No, no. Rather the tafsir in the eyes of Imam al-Sadiq is a different tafsir. What does Imam al-Sadiq say about this? When the ayah says Allah guides whoever he wants to guide and misguides whoever he wants to misguide, you don't take the ayah literally as it's translated. Rather, the ayah is Allah guides whoever's looking for his guidance. 
And Allah keeps in misguidance the one not interested in his guidance. What do I mean? There are two builders who come to build my house, yes? In London, you know, the builders, it's quite an industry in London. The two builders who come to build my house, and they come, and I've told them, listen, guys, I need you there from 9 o'clock till 5 o'clock. And all of you would have experienced these types of builders. On the one hand, you've got one type of builder who comes. What time do they come? There's one type of builder, he comes 8.45. I've told him 9, but that person comes at 8.45. And they leave at 5.30. Yes, I've told them 9 to 5. But they're diligent in their work. They're really looking to do a good job. So I find that they come early and they leave late. The second type of builder, no, I've told them 9. He gives me about 20 text messages to say traffic, late, this, that. He's probably having a breakfast somewhere on his way. 9.20, 9.30. And then they leave at about 4 o'clock. We've agreed 9 to 5. But you know, at the end of the day, they say, you know, the weather's not too good. So we'll come back another time. A couple of days later, these two builders have lost their ladder. Yes, they need the ladder to build the house. When the first one comes to ask me for a ladder, yes, straight away I'm going to get that ladder for the first one. Why? Because they've always shown interest in building my house. Yes? The second one, when they ask me for a ladder, I'm not going to offer any ladder towards them. They never come in on time. They're always also leaving early. The difference between the two was what? Is the attitude to the guidance on this project. The first one, I will straight away help because they've always looked to help me. Then I'm gonna do what? Expand their breast towards the religion, yes? Towards helping. The second one, no, I'm gonna keep them. Listen, you get your own ladder. Try and figure out a way which you get your own ladder because they've shown no interest in building this house, yes? Likewise, when the ayah says, Allah guides who he wants to guide, and Allah keeps in misguidance whoever he wants to keep in misguidance. It doesn't refer to the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put a decision on you. You're guided, you're misguided, you're guided, you're misguided. No. Rather it's Allah saying, those of you who look for my guidance, I'll open the doors of guidance for you. Yes? You want to change and become religious? If you show me that you've taken one step to me, I'll take 10 steps back towards you. Yes? As in how many do you see in Islamic history? They took one step to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah, how many doors he opened for them? Yes? Abu Dhar al-Ghafari took one step to his Lord. You found by the end, Rasulullah said his taqwa is equal to Nabi Isa alayhi salam. Yes? Other companions, Salman took one step to his Lord. Rasulullah said he's from us, al-Muhammad. Yes? You find therefore that that one step, and that applies today by the way. Listen, for example, in the Majalis this year, there are certain people, let's say, from the ladies' side, there are certain ladies, lovers of Al-Muhammad, they come, they don't wear hijab. They come to the majlis and they'll wear their hijab, but when they leave, they won't wear. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not good people. Their hearts are probably the nicest hearts, their akhlaq is probably the best akhlaq. But are they really looking for guidance on that area from Allah or no? Yes? As in, you can't keep on saying, when I'm ready. No, you have to say, Ya Allah, I'll take a step this Muharram. I'm going to cover myself, Muharram, Safar. Help me after Safar. You help me after Safar, Ya Allah. I want you, I've shown you that for two months, eight days, as culturally certain people do it, I'll come and I'll do this and I'll be there. But Ya Allah, after Safar, when the battery, you know, the iPhone battery, five bar, four bar, three bar, two bar, one bar, yes? When we get to Rabi Al-Awwal, sometimes the bars begin to fall, Yes? When the bars begin to fall, Ya Allah, help me. Even with the brother's side, Ya Allah, I've taken the step that my salah is on time in Muharram. I'm going to pray my dhuhr on time, my asr on time, my maghrib on time, my isha on time. But after Muharram and Safar, I'm not that passionate. Yes? Ya Allah, I'm going to start and I want you to guide me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in that hadith, Abdi, ana alladhi yaqula li shay'in kun fayakun. My servant, I'm the one who says to something be and it will be. Obey me and what I've ordered you, I'll let you say to something be and it will be. Yes? That idea therefore for Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi was what? From the outset we need to make clear. Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi, it wasn't that Allah decided, okay, let's give a tick to Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi so we guide him in Ashura. No. Hur looked for the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hur 
wanted to find that guidance. Not he sat at home the whole time and say, you know, when I'm ready, I'll do this. We could do many things when I'm ready. When I'm ready, I'll pray. When I'm ready, I'll fast. Islam, Imam Amir says, Al-Islam huwa taslim. Wa taslim huwa al-yaqeen. Islam means to submit. Submission will bring about certainty. Therefore, when it came to Hur, firstly, Hur was given that name by his mother. Yes? Someone says, how do you know it's not his father? How do you know it's not, for example, his grandfather? Because when he was lying on the ground, in his final breath, Imam al-Hussein said, you are like your mother named you. Yes? The importance, no doubt, of the mother shown there, but also the importance of the name in Islam. No doubt, you find that Rasulullah would often stress that your children have certain rights over you. These rights include what? Teaching them good akhlaq, which I believe is more important than praying 24-7. Yes, there are many, mashallah, they pray 24-7, but the akhlaq may not be there. Number one, teach them good akhlaq. Number two, what's the second thing? Teach them the Quran, sit with them, recite with them, teach them, let them understand. Number three, give them a good name. Why give them a good name? It was only a few years before Hur was born. It was normal in Arabia to give names. I remember some of the names they used to give in Mecca. Some of their children were called Abdul Shaytan. MashaAllah. So that's really going to be someone close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abdul Shaytan. And another was called Abdul Shar, the servant of evil. Yes. And other names. And other names. I remember someone coming to Umar ibn Khattab. A father came to Umar. He said, my son is disobedient. Umar turned around. He said, how dare you be disrespectful to your father? And that moment, what happened? The son said, but oh Khalifa, you need to understand. You know what name my father gave me? I said, what? He said, he gave me the name Beetle. You know the Beetle? The small insect? Yes. He called me a beetle. Everywhere I go, people come, at least call me a lion, call me a tiger. What do you find fascinating in a beetle? <laughs> but some of these Arabs, and the Quran said, Yes, don't give these names of disobedience after Iman has come to you. In Arabic, an ism can be what? A name could be mushtaq or jamid. Yes? A name in Arabic can either be a frozen name in the sense that it has no real relation to your character. For example, if I now name my son, what? If I name my son Harith, for example, let's say someone who plows the fields, let's say, that's not going to have a trait on his character, yes? And no one's going to come and say, you're a wonderful Harith. <laughs> However, there are names which are mushtaq, meaning what? Meaning that those names, you want to have an effect on the person's character. You see, Umm al-Banin, when she named her son Abbas, yes? Why? Why? Why would you name the son Abbas? Abbas is normally someone with a frown, yes? Abus, Abbas, the surah in the Quran, Abasa, yes, someone who frowns. But Abbas, there is this frown that pierces through the soul when he looks at you, yes? I want him on the battlefield, that when he looks, he looks. Likewise, you find with Al-Muhammad, when they would name their names, the names would have a meaning. Today I find there are certain people of my friends, even my friends, I ask them, what do you name your child? They give me a name, it sounds like it's come out of a lullaby for some baby or rhyme or something like that, la la and dada and stuff like that. So no problem, you want to be cool in your community, you want to fit in. Islam is not against that. But look at Al-Muhammad, how much they wanted to focus on the name. They instilled that young. Look at their names, Muhammad, Ali, Ali, Muhammad, Muhammad, Ali, it's, it's constant. Why? Because they want the son to know who he's named after. They want the daughter to know who she's named after. Does not Imam Sadiq see that person? He sees him. He says to him, what's your daughter's name? He said to him, my daughter's name is Fatima. He said, then never slap her. Yes, never hit her. Because it reminds us of what happened to our grandmother. Not just that, but at the same time, it also makes sure when he would hear someone's called Muhammad, he would make sure that he bows his head in honor of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Therefore you found when Hur's mother gave him that name, they were a Kufan family, Banu Riyah al-Tamimi, yes? They were a Kufan family. And you found that she had given him that name, why? Because she wanted him to have Hurriya, freedom. A free thinker, someone who's introspective, someone who's reflective. When you name your son that name, you want him to be, for example, if you name him Kadhim, you want him to be someone who restrains his anger. 
Rida, someone pleased with the will of Allah. Jawad, someone beneficent, for example. Try and give that name. His mom named him Hur. Imam al-Hussein, when he lay on the ground, saw him. He looked him in the eyes and he said, Hur, you are like your mother named you. Free in this world and free in the hereafter. Subhanallah. Imagine that mom when she named him Hur. Who would have thought that she wanted a son who would grow up free enough to know? I need to make a decision between heaven and hell. That one moment was the greatest moment of freedom. And that's why Imam Al-Hussein on the 10th of Muharram kept on talking of free thought. Oh, army of Abu Sufyan, if you don't have a religion, you don't believe in the day of judgment, at least be free human beings. Yes. Don't let those prop the propaganda of sham come and dictate to you what's happening. Be free. Therefore, his mother named him Hur. And they were brought up in Kufa. Kufa originally was that garrison town founded by Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas in the 17th year after Hijrah to become a place habitable for the people. And you found that the caliphs of Islamic history would have Kufa as their capital, especially Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen. Yes, Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen left Medina, came towards Kufa. Amongst the reasons, of course, to counter Muawiyah. Muawiyah had been governor of Bilad al-Sham. And you found Sham in those days was what? Today, Sham is Syria. In those days, Sham was Syria, Palestine, Lebanon, and Jordan. Muawiyah had all of these. Imam Amir was in Kufa. But still at the time in Kufa, the strands and the different groups of people, you would find some would call themselves Shia, but whether theologically or technically, differed. What do I mean? Shia of Kufa, when we hear Shia of Kufa, Shia of Kufa could be two things. If you heard Shia of Hussein in Kufa or Shia of Ali in Kufa, it could be Shia of Ali in terms of what? Believing in the imamate of Imam Ali. Yes, believing in the three principles of Imam. Nas, Ilm, and Asma. They believe that the Imam is designated by Allah. They believe that the Imam is Ma'soom. And they believe at the same time that the Imam's knowledge is an immediate knowledge inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So people like, let's say, Malik al-Ashtar, Muhammad bin Abu Bakr. Yes, people like this. Awais al-Qarani, Khuzayma bin Thabit. These people you would find would be the staunch disciples of Ali. Yes, they would be the ones who he would open his secrets. The khasa of the khasa of the Shia in early Shiaism. Then you had Shia of Hussein, who are what? Shia, the word means party of or followers of. Where the party of Hussein, because he fights Yazid, and where the party of anyone else if he fights Yazid. So we don't have an affiliation with Hussein theologically. We have an affiliation with Hussein politically. If Abdullah bin Zubair is fighting Yazid, we're with Abdullah bin Zubair. Because Shia literally means party or group. In the Quran, Nabi Musa alayhi salam, when he split the fight, one of his Shia and one was of his enemies, one was of his people, the Israelites, and another was of his people. Doesn't mean theologically. Therefore, in Kufa, Hurb bin Yazid al-Riyahi was not seen as a Shia of Ahlul Bayt in any way. You had other strands, other theological groups at the time. Even I would dare to say, Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, as they call themselves today, I dare to say that they weren't even, there was no Ahlul Sunnah in that early days. You know, if anyone who wants to say, Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi was a Sunni who became a Shia, not at all. If any title I would give, either prototype Ahlul Sunnah would be the Murji'ah, suspension on the, on, on any judgment on the companions. Or you would say Uthmaniyah, for example. Those who are Uthmani, they sided on the, on the path of Uthman bin Affan rather than Ali ibn Abi Talib, for example. There were many different strands. Hur was amongst whom? Hur, seemingly at the time, it wasn't clear what his theology was. Yes, these people had held positions. The main people in charge of Kufa were whom? Nu'man bin Bashir, father-in-law of Mukhtar al-Thaqafi. That was one. And another was Umar bin Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas. Look at the irony. Yes, Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas founded Kufa in the sense of where people would come and live. And Umar, his son, would be the one who was the mainstay within Kuvan society. Umar bin Sa'ad has a son called Hafs. Hur had a son called Bukair. Bukair and Hafs were best friends. Hur and Umar bin Sa'ad, very close to each other. 
In other words, these people were the aristocrats of Kufa, yes? It's not that they were necessarily showing open oppression to the uh, Shia at the time. Yes, there's corruption at the time. And there is certainly differences between many of the Shia who were living there at the time. But you would find that Hur bin Yazid al-Ri'ah was not known to be an oppressive person. He was known to be these particular traits. Which traits? These traits could have easily stopped him from changing. Because when you want to become religious, there are certain traits which stop you from becoming religious. What are they? Number one, fame. You're famous amongst your circle. Why should I become religious? I'm not going to be cool anymore. Yes. I don't know what cool means, by the way. I'm not going to be cool if I become religious. I'm going to be someone who's seen as backward. Hur was famous in Kufa, a man whose family was notorious, a man of honor, a man of dignity. Why would he change? He's got all the fame in the world that he wants. No one in Sham disrespected him. He was a powerful person within Kufan society. Number two, bravery. Allahu Akbar. I don't think you realize what a warrior Hur bin Yazid al-Riyah is. And one of the best lines can be found within the Maqatil literature. Muhajir was standing on the 10th of Muharram. Yes. He said, I looked around on the 10th of Muharram. I saw Hur bin Yazid al-Riyah's face, the color complexion changed. He said, I looked at him and I said, if they were to ask me, who's the bravest man in Kufa? Listen to his bravery. Because Shimar bin al-Joshan is there. Omar bin Sa'ad is there. Shibd bin Rabi'i is there. These, these are ferocious warriors. Some of these are Ali ibn Abi Talib's ex-soldiers. Shimar bin al-Joshan. These people, they're all Safinis, Nahrawanis. Yes, some with Imam, some were ex-Khawarij. But they were ferocious animals in war. They're bloodthirsty animals. Muhajir said, if they were to ask me, he tells Hur, who's the bravest in Kufa? I would say Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi. That's a position and a half. Therefore, number two, the bravery. Number three, not just bravery, not just fame. Dunya was laid on a plate for him. Yes, because Yazid had promised Umar bin Sa'ad and Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi two particular pieces of land which were unbelievable. Yes, Umar bin Sa'ad, he promised him Ray. Ray, if you want to compare it today, not exactly, but a sort of comparison. Let's say Tahran, for example. That's a sort of comparison. He told Umar bin Sa'ad, you finish Hussein, son of Ali. Ray is waiting for you. Remember, these two are best friends, yes? And their sons are best friends. Hafsan Bukhar, yes? He told him, I will promise you, Ray, and I will never forget when Imam al-Hussein came to Umar bin Sa'ad. He said to him, I'm willing to give you the Bughaybagha. The Bughaybagha was a piece of land Imam Ali owned. Yes, Muawiyah kept on trying to buy it from Imam Ali because it was worth so much money. Imam al-Hussein came to Umar bin Sa'ad. He said, Yazid promises you Ray. I'll give you the Bughaybagha. And you know how expensive the Bughaybagha is in terms of land. And Umar bin Sa'ad turned around with all arrogance. And he said, I'd rather see you dead than take the Bughaybagha. Hur bin Yazid Riyahi, one narration mentions he was promised Khurasan. Khurasan, yes. You tell me, would you become religious and join an army of 72? And you're in an army of 30,000, let's say, or 10,000 or 12,000. Because of what? You've got Khurasan waiting for you. When I say Khurasan, I'm trying to tell you that. Imagine someone tells you, listen, if you um, do a particular job for me, I'll give you Mashhad. Mashhad is not uh, Somerset, New Jersey, by the way, yes? Somerset, New Jersey is a lovely area. But Mashhad, imagine someone tells you, here's Mashhad, just finish this job off for me, yes? Now, if I were to give it in these terms, he was promised, he was told. Now, you tell me, when you're brave, famous, wealth waits for you, would you change? Subhanallah, you ask yourself that question. How many of us, when people tell us, why don't you become religious, go to Hajj, go Ziyara? One group turn around and say, listen, I'm already doing well. I don't need to go towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Yes. Then you have another group who say, listen, I'm not going to look cool in front of my friends. If I go ziyar and they say, you're boring. Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi showed us that you know what? You can have everything in this world. But subhanallah, the moment you realize all of it can go in an instant. But the love of Allah remains forever. And the love of Al-Muhammad remains forever. And you found, subhanallah, that what was it about him? What was it that changed him? No doubt what changed him first and foremost 
was the akhlaq of Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam. Yes? You see, if someone is your enemy, you can straight away be rude to them. And we have a major problem in our community. When we see someone who's not religious, the holier than thou's push them away from the mosques. The biggest trouble I've received as a lecturer is from holier than thou's. You know who holier than thou's are? Holier than thou's are the ones, mashallah. They walk around like an Amr bin Ma'roof and Nahi and Munkar police. Yes? This, this actually happened to me in Saudi Arabia, by the way, once. I was reading Dua Kumail and this guy came. He looked like, you know, Chief Inspector Wiggum, you know, the Simpsons. And he came up to me and he said to me, he said, I am Amr bin Ma'roof and Nahi al-Munkar police force. And I was like, come on, you must be joking. There's no such thing. And, you know, they really do have that in Saudi Arabia. The holier than thou's, what are they? They see someone's not religious. Look at her. She doesn't wear hijab. So what's wrong with you? You've come as a judgmental machine to the mosque. Or have you come to talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Look at him, look at his haircut, look at him, look at the jeans, look at that. Don't. Not even a conception that their glass is made of the uh, finest glass. Their house is made out of the finest glass, yes? Imam al-Hussein could have turned around to Hur. When he met him, Imam turned around. The first thing Hur asked him, he said to him, listen, we need some water. Yes. When? Beginning of Muharram, he said to him, we need some water. The irony of ironies, yes. How this world is. Imam al-Hussein turned around. He said to his companions, give water. To whom? Give water. Not just to his companions. Give water to his horses as well. I can't bear to see a horse thirsty. Abu Abdullah. The horses drink from the Farat. And the son of Fatima lies thirsty in Karbala. That's the sadness of the world that we live in. Wallah. Anytime you face any oppression in your life, remember the stranger of Karbala. That's it. That should help you. He said, water, water, no problem whatsoever. Here, take the water, as much as you want. Because remember, when second Muharram, for example, they still have water. It's a few days later, there's no water. At the beginning on the second Muharram, they have water. And Imam al-Hussein makes it a point. Water, basic necessity for every human being. No human being, Muslim or non-Muslim, should be deprived of water. Today when I hear malnutrition, and I hear the countries with no water, we Muslims must emphasize on these things. That we must be more philanthropic. We have to be more goodwill ambassadors on these issues. Water and healthcare and so on. Imam al-Hussein offered him water. Water. Hur came to him. He said, where are you going? He said, I'm going towards Kufa. He said, I'm sorry, you have to stay here. So what do you mean you have to stay here? Before that, before he even had blocked him, the time of Salah had come. When the time of Salah had come, Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam said to him, you lead. He said to him, you lead. Yes? Have you seen when Mawlana's fight who, pray, who leads salah? He said to him, you lead. The son of Rasulullah. Son of Zahra. But look at the humility. He said, Hur, you lead. Hur replied with a reply. A wonderful reply. And it showed you that deep down, there is that light. It's just about you letting it out. That's the difference between religious and not religious. Yes? And the difference between Ahlul Bayt follow and non-Ahlul Bayt follow. It's just a small difference. You just have to let the light out. Hur, when Imam said, you lead, he said, no. How can I lead when the son of Zahra is with us? Yes. Hur at the beginning wasn't certain what's happening. Because to him, what was going on? He has to get a pledge of allegiance. Yes. Once he gets the pledge of allegiance, that's it. Everyone goes their way. Imam said to him, he turned around to him. And Imam said to him, you know, we're going towards Kufa. And Hur said, why? He said, the people have called us there. There's oppression and the rights of Ahlul Bayt have been taken. Hur said to him, what do you mean the people have called you? It's amazing when he says this. Every time I read the maktal, whether it's Abu Makhnaf, whether it's the, you know, what remains of those monographs you find. It's amazing when he says to him, what is it? You know, what letters? He said, there's 2,000 letters here from Kufa saying, come to Kufa. He says to him, I don't know anything about this. Wait here. We'll find out what's happening. Who does he report back to? Umar bin Sa'ad. Hur had come there with about a thousand soldiers. Yes. Reported back to Umar bin Sa'ad. Until the news came to him later on. Block Hussein in Karbala. Don't let him go to Kufa. He blocked him. Imam al-Hussein said, what are you doing? He said, you can't go to Karbala. He said, why? He said, you can't go to Kufa. He said, why? He said, because I've been given orders that you must stay here. Imam looked at him and he said to him, May your mom have never given birth to you. The reply that he gave, 
every year when I recite it. You know, it breaks the heart. It's the biggest insult someone says something about your mom. Yes? And Hur was standing there and Imam said to him, may your mother have not given birth to you. And Hur looked at him and he said, if you were the son of any other mother, I would have insulted you. But how can I insult your mother? Yes, that line. I tell you, that line breaks the heart of every lover of Ahlul Bayt. Because there's, there's that moment where he's thinking to himself, really, you've just insulted my mom. And you've insulted me. But who is your mom? And who are you? Yes, what am I meant to do? He said, that's it. He said, you stay here in Karbala. You're not going anywhere until we receive the orders. What does Hur think? He thinks Umar bin Sa'ad will finally tell him that, listen, get the Pledge of Allegiance and let them go home until he waits and he waits and he waits. Umar bin Sa'ad at the beginning was hesitant. Do we kill Hussein? Do we not kill Hussein? Umar bin Sa'ad, what was his aim? His aim was, you know what? Let go. Let Hussein return. That will be it. Shibar bin Dil-Joshan got in the middle. Shimr bin al-Joshan saw Hur praying behind Imam al-Hussein. And then he noticed as well Hur talking to Imam al-Hussein. Then he noticed that Umar bin Sa'ad was more concerned that they get a pledge and go home. They reported this back to Yazid. When they reported back, Yazid made it clear. Tell Umar bin Sa'ad this is what awaits him if he kills Hussein. I want Hussein killed. At the beginning Umar bin Sa'ad was hesitant. Shimmer told him, you're not a real commander. Look at you, thinking twice. It overtook him. There's no way you tell me I'm not a real commander. We go to Karbala. We take our soldiers and we make sure that anyone who gets in our way is to be killed. Yes. They get to Karbala. They camp there. Hur bin Yazid Riyahi is sitting with Umar bin Sa'ad. All of them are sitting together. They met Imam al-Hussein the night of Ashura. When they met Imam, Imam said, give me one more night so me and my companions can be in ruku' and sujood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It really shows you the spirituality within the Ahlul Bayt, yes? That they just wanted that wonderful relationship with Allah. Let us stay one more night on this earth and that's it. And you found that Hur was wondering, are we really going to go ahead with this killing? Is this really going to happen? And indeed, the change that happened to him was a wonderful change. Why do I say that? You see... It's not easy to change and go to the other side. The best option could have been, listen, I'll ride my horse, I'll go to Kufa. Yes? As in, that's the easiest option. Zubair in the battle of Jamal, Imam Ali, Imam Al-Hassan, Imam Hussain on one side. Talha Zubair and Aisha on the other. The battle of Jamal, when it happened, at the beginning, Imam Amir al-Mumin came out. He looked at them. He said, Aisha, you are the wife of Rasulullah. Does not the Quran say, O oh, wives of the Prophet, Stay in your houses and do not display like you displayed in the days of ignorance. Doesn't the Quran say this? Why are you coming out to fight me? You know the killers of Uthman or you are one of the killers? He said to her, if there are killers of Uthman, then we will bring them to justice. You know, we'll bring them, remove the injustice. No, today we'll fight. Talha, he said to him, Abu Muhammad, with me in Islam from day one. Badr, Uhud, Khandaq, Khaybar, you now fight me? Because Talha and all of these were together when Islam began. Now you fight me? He said, you know the killers of Uthman, we must bring them to justice. Okay. Zubair's mom is Ali ibn Abi Talib's dad's sister. Abu Talib, his sister is Zubair's mom. So he's Ali ibn Abi Talib's first cousin. Imam came to him, he said to him, Zubair, you're my cousin. And he started crying when you talked to him. It's your cousin, you grew up together. And I tell you and I will repeat, nobody was as loyal to Ali ibn Abi Talib when Saqifa happened. Like Salman, Abu Dhar, Miqdad and Zubair. Loyalty to Ali ibn Abi Talib at when Saqifa happened. Zubair was loyal to him at home. And Rasulullah had told Zubair, there'll be a day you'll fight Ali. He said, never. Imam Ali looked at him, he said, Zubair, do you remember when Rasulullah sat us both down? He asked you, how much do you love me? And you said, how much you loved me? And then he said, there'll be a day you'll fight him. And you said, never will I fight Ali. What are you doing now? Zubair at that moment, had he just joined the other side and come to Imam Ali, the whole of this world would remember him.
True. What did he do? He felt wrong at fighting Imam Ali. He turned his horse around and he went home. Yes? He went home. Now someone says, well, he went home. You can't make a judgment. It's not about making the judgment. It's one thing walking away from fighting Ali. It's another saying, I am one of the muwalin of Ali. Yes? There's a difference. Had he just walked 10 steps, 10 steps, people would remember him until today as a man who held on to the wilaya of Amir al-Mu'mineen. Today, you ask anyone about Zubair, maybe, yes, oh, we don't know. There's, no one can even tell you anything about him. Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi, exact opposite. 10 steps made over 300 million people love him every night. Yes? 10 steps. Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi, could have been like Zubair. Let's, Bukair, come here. Let's ride our horse. Let's go back to Kufa. We won't get involved with Hussein, nor with Yazid. We'll go home. As the person says in the famous poetry, food is good with Muawiyah. Salah is good with Ali. And when they fight, I'm not involved with either of them. Yes, he could have done that. No, he didn't do that. Even when you read his lines of poetry, when he joined the Imam, Inni an al-hurru wa ma'wa al-dayf adribukum fi a'naqikum bis-sayf he says, I am, when he joined Imam Hussein, I am hur and I am welcoming to my guests. I'll strike all of you on your necks with my sword. Yes? On the best of the people who conquered the land of Khaif, I strike you and I have no fear in me whatsoever. Look at the difference between the two. Zubair could have said those words, the whole world would remember him. No one remembers him now. And Ahlul Sunnah, no one makes a decision about Zubair anymore. And in Shiism, no one has an interest in Zubair at all. Whereas Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi, 10 steps. And subhanAllah, each one of us, believe you me, it could be 10 steps, 2 steps, 3 steps in your life. And you change from being someone of Jannah and someone of Jahannam. Because what is it that changed Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi? What is it? And I tell you, many wonder, did this change happen or no? One narrates... That one of the sultans wondered. Some people were saying, Hur never changed, yes? Some people said, Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi never changed. And one of their proofs was what? You know, Hur is buried quite a distance from Imam al-Hussein. You've all been to Karbala. Those of you who haven't, may Allah bless all of you, inshallah. That you're able to visit the holy shrine of Abi Abdullah. And you're able to rub your cheeks on his shrine, inshallah. Farham tilka al-khudud allati taqallabu ala zareeh Abi Abdullah. So you found that Hur is quite a distance. So some people were saying in Baghdad, some people were telling the Sultan and so on, they were saying that this Hur never changed. If he changed, he would be with the rest of Shuhada Karbala. We know that in the school of Ahl al-Bayt, Amata's body looks the same. Even after you've buried him, if you were to remove the kafan, you'll still see the same fresh body. May Allah bless the soul of Sayyid Muhammad Baqir al-Sadr. How they say that when they found his body after Saddam's intense torture of him, they found the body exactly fresh. Shaheed's body is fresh. They say they went. The Sultan said, too many people are saying, Hur never changed. Go, I want to see his body. They opened. They removed just a bit of the kefan and the blood began to pour. Yes. The blood began to pour. If you doubted the freshness, don't doubt the freshness. Even the blood of the lover of Hussein continues. Yes. And you found, therefore, he, some ask, how did he change? There was a few things that changed him. And I want to come back to this in a moment. Why is he buried a bit away from Shuhada Karbala? Yes. Because his tribe carried him away. And I want to come back to this in the Masaib. I want you to hear what happened. Yes. How did he change? Allahu Akbar. His line is a line we all need to remember in our hearts. nafsi I have to make a decision between heaven and hell. Every single person in this hall, everyone listening online, everyone listening around the world, that one line of hor is you. It's up to you. What do you want? Mind you, I don't want to worship Allah because of hell, as Ali says. That's the worship of a slave. Nor do I want to worship Allah because I want heaven. That's the worship of a businessman. I want to worship Allah because I found Allah worthy of being worshipped. Yes? But ask all of you yourself, what do you really want? Is it a matter of one obedience to Allah? That's it. You're going to ruin eternity of bliss with Ahlul Bayt because of this one act. 
There's no sabr, there's no jihad. He saw Abu Abdullah on one side, himself on the other, and he said the line. And what is it that made him say that line? Firstly, he was wondering, is something really going to happen? He heard Shimr bin Dil-Joshan say, tomorrow, hands will be severed and heads will be flying. That touched him. That night, he began to reflect on Shimr's words. Then the second thing which he heard, again, is attributed to Shimr in one maqtal, Umar bin Sa'ad in another. Imam al-Hussein had put fire outside his tent to stop them from attacking him on the ninth. One of them turned to Imam al-Hussein. He said to him, Hussein, are you preparing yourself for the fire of hell already? This one affected him. But the last one, the last one. Every time I read the last one, it breaks the heart of the lover of Hussein. He was standing in the morning. He hadn't yet changed. He's still hesitant. He heard Umar bin Sa'ad shouting. What was Umar bin Sa'ad shouting? Bring water. The hooves of my horses are too hot. I don't want my horses to hurt. Yes. My horses, their hooves are burning from the sand of Karbala. Bring the water on the hooves, pour it. At that moment, he looked towards his son. At that moment, he looked towards his son. And his son looked at him. And then Muhajir looked at him. You know, these are four commanders. Umar bin Sa'ad, Shimr bin Dil-Jawjan, and Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi. And Muhajir looked at him. He said, you know, if they told me who's the bravest man in Kufa, I'd say Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi. What's wrong with you? And he looked and he said, النار, I need to make a decision between heaven and hell. And I decide to go to join Abu Abdullah. He turned to his son, Bukhar. He said, Bukhar, come, let's go. He said, come with me. He rode his horse. You know when he was coming towards Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam? When he came to Abu Abdullah, he kept his head down. He couldn't bear to look him in the eyes. Because do you know what the poets say, some of the thoughts that were going through him? If Hussein dies, it's my fault, yes? But what's going to happen to Zainab after Hussein dies, yes? What if Zainab is whipped? What if the children don't have anyone, yes? He came, but look how wonderful Abba Abdullah is. When he came, he was riding his horse. He had bowed his head. Abbas came out. And Abba Abdullah said, wait, let's hear what he's got to say. Said, Abba Abdullah, forgive me. He said, Abba Abdullah, forgive me. I didn't know they wanted to kill you. <laughs> they said to me that get a pledge of allegiance. I beg you, forgive me. How soft is the heart of Imam al Hussein? I tell you, if that was any of us with our family members, we don't forgive. And we claim we are Husseinis. We don't forgive our sisters. We don't forgive our brothers. We don't forgive our in-laws. We don't forgive. But this is a Husseini. Look at the heart. Sukaina is crying al-Atash. He said to him, Hur, do not worry. I forgive you. Yes. He said, Abba Abdullah, one thing. Where is Zainab? Where is Zainab? Yes. All of us today say, where is Zainab? Yes. He said, why? He said, I want to ask her for forgiveness. <laughs> because I think what began to happen to him was he could see these 72 are going to die. What are they going to do to Ali's daughter? <laughs> Imam al-Baqir says, there are some things about Karbala we don't tell our Shia out of fear of what may happen to them. At that moment, what took place? The narrations mention he bowed before Sayyidah Zainab. Then he said, Abba Abdullah, let me go out first on the battlefield. <laughs> Imam al-Hussein exchanged his final greeting with Hur. He turned out towards the army of Umar bin Sa'ad. Remember, Umar bin Sa'ad was his former friend, now enemy, yes? 
the narrations mention that he fought valiantly. Yes, they were trying to fight him one on one. No one could defeat him. Omar bin Sa'ad turned around. He said, all of you now surround him. Yes. All of a sudden, someone came and struck Hur from the back of his head. He fell on the ground and he called out, Assalamu alaikum, ya Sayyidi, ya Aba Abdullah. Yes. Imam al-Hussein came towards him. I ask you, brothers and sisters, is there an honor like Imam al-Hussein being next to you when you die? Yes. He came next to him. He looked him in the eyes. He said to him, Hur, you are like your mother named you. Free in this world and free in the hereafter. Yes. Imam al-Hussein embraced him. Imam al-Hussein carried him. Someone asks the question, how comes Hur's body is far away? Why was he buried far? I'm going to tell you why. And I want your hearts to open to this because this musibah, I was told by one of the maraji' don't always recite this musibah. Some of our Shia cannot contain this musibah. What is the musibah? On the afternoon of the 10th of Muharram, they had killed Imam al-Hussein an hour before Maghrib. As soon as they killed him, Umar bin Sa'ad sat on his horse. He turned round to his horse riders. They were all next to him. He said, all of you get off your horses. They said, why? He said, sharpen the hooves of your horses. They went, they sharpened the hooves. When they finished sharpening the hooves, he said, now ten of you, I want you to get together. They said, what do you want us to do? He said, I want you to trample on the bodies of the companions of Hussein. Wait for it, yes? And they asked him, who shall we trample on first? He said, Hur bin Yazid al-Riyahi, yes? But Banu Riyah, some of them were with Umar bin Sa'ad and his army. They came out and they said, listen to us. You've already killed our son. We don't allow you to trample on his body. That's an insult to our tribe. He said, okay, leave him alone. They said to him, then who shall we trample on? He said to them, trample on Habib bin Madahar's body. But Habib ibn Madar's tribe were with Umar bin Sa'ad. They came out. They said, listen, you've killed Habib. But we don't allow you to tremble on his body. He said, leave him. He went through companion after companion. But each of them had a tribe to protect him. Then after that, what did he do? He turned around to them. He said, then trample on the family of Abu Abdullah. Allahu Akbar. But I don't think you're ready for this, yes? Zahra, forgive me for what I'm going to recite. They asked him, who shall we trample on? He said, trample on Abbas, yes? But Abbas's mother was related to Shimmer. So they turned around, they said, leave his body. You've killed our son. It's an insult to trample on his body. He said, very well, trample on Ali al-Akbar's body. But Ali al-Akbar's mother Layla was Yazid's first cousin. So one of them came and said, you can't trample on his body. It's an insult. Yes. So they turned around. They said, trample on Qasim's body. But Qasim's mother was from Banu Fazara. Yes. And they were represented in the army. One by one, he went through each of the family members. But each of them had a tribe to protect him. So what did he say? He said, go out and look for a body that has no mother or father to protect him. Yes? All of you know who I'm talking about now. Only one man lay on the ground. Yes? Only one. He said, trample on the body of Abu Abdullah. They began to kick the body of Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam. Do you know who heard the kicking? Zainab. She was in the tent. She turned to Zain al-Abideen. She said to him, I hear something breaking. What is it? He said to aunt, you have patience. Those are the bones of my father, Abdullah. And that's why the poet, what does he say? Fatima, you lost one of your ribs. Come to Karbala and see the ribs of Abdullah. May Allah bless all of your tears. May Allah bless your tears. May Allah bless your tears. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Wa sayalamu alladheena zalamu ayya munqalabi yanqalibun. Wa la'nati al-da'ima. Ala al-qawm al-zalameen. Ya Allah, I ask you in the name of the chest of Imam al-Husayn.
Ya Allah, I ask you in the name of the thirst of Imam Al-Hussein Ya Allah, I ask you in the name of the Gharib of Karbala, Aba Abdullah. <laughs> ya Allah, provide us the shafa'a of Harbin Yazid al-Riyahi. Ya Allah, allow us to be amongst the followers of Muhammad and Al-Muhammad. Allow us to rise with the Imam of our time, Imam Sahib Al-Asr Wal-Zaman. Remove all the oppression that exists in the world today, Ya Allah. Allow us to have a transformation like Hurbin Yazid Al-Riyahi. We pray to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala with the Surah Al-Fatiha. But before it, the loudest of your salawat.